Um, Heavenly Father God, thank you for just allowing us to be here. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for uh, being willing to take the time out to map out our lives, map out how we should live, giving us just evidence after evidence and just words after words of encouragement, of uh, admonishment, Father, of guidance. Thank you for just taking the time and creating your word, Father, and allowing us to live by it. Uh, I pray that my words will be your words today, Father. I pray that you guide us as we learn more about you and the word that you've given us. Praise you and I thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, God. Amen. So as James had mentioned uh, last week, we're going to try to keep this as interactive as possible. And I could think of no better way to make this interactive by starting off with a quick pop quiz. So... Uh, I hope by now everyone's gotten their uh, training for service books or at least some great notes from last week's class because we're going to ask a few questions and if you have the answer, feel free to just um, raise your hand and answer. So um, last week, James talked about the two forms of revelation highlighted in the Bible. Can someone tell me what those forms are? Yep, natural and what else? Special. Who can tell me the difference between the two? Exactly. And special? Right. Special revelation is something directly from God. Now, is natural revelation complete? And who can tell me why not? Okay. So just to recap, special revelation comes from God because no matter how wise we think we are, we can't just look at the sky and understand that God created Right? We can't just go to the Red Sea and know, hey, there must have been someone who split this. Right? We need God's intervention so that we can understand how things are just because our minds can't comprehend things. Right? We're just trying to figure out how many planets we have, and that changes like every 10 years. So it, because of that, we need God to intervene and tell us what actually has happened and then what his intention is for our lives. So enough for the pressure of the quiz. We're going to go into the next uh, section. And um, this part, we're actually going to skip and move into the New Testament. So um, we're going to go into chapter 16. So in your um, training for service books, you'll find that in page, I want to make sure I have the right one. It's going to be in page 61 in your training for service books. And this is uh, a lesson where we go through the different lands that were covered in the New Testament and the different areas um, that the New Testament covers. And I just realized I left my clicker in the back, but uh, we'll have the other guys help us out. So just to give you a background, um, over the past thousand years, uh, Israel had gone through a number of changes, right? They went from being their own land, leaving Egypt, finding the promised land, creating their own nation, to then diverting away from God and his promises and being as a result of that. God sent conquerors to take over their lands. And takeover after takeover happened where even those people who took them over, they themselves found themselves getting taken over um, and punished by God. So uh, the land of Israel went through a lot. And it's important for us to understand the difference in what the, what's going on in the political climate and geographically at the time because it helps to put a lot of the stories that Jesus tells into context and a lot of the things that happen in the Bible, you understand a lot better when you see 
okay, what was going on at the time? And we're going to go into that in a lot more detail in a little bit. But just to highlight what was going on at this time, at this time, uh, the, the Greek Empire had pretty much gone away, and Rome had essentially taken over most of what was called the known world at the time. Right? So the entire Mediterranean was pretty much conquered by Rome, and that included um, what was then called uh, modern day, well, what was then called Palestine, which included um, what's now known as Israel and all the surrounding areas. And they covered everything from northern Africa, um, as you can see, to the southern end of Europe. So Rome conquered and controlled all of that. And that persisted throughout pretty much all of the New Testament. And understanding that, you're going to see a lot of things that happened with the way people were viewing Jesus, because a lot of them were viewing Jesus as the military leader that would help conquer and take back some of those lands. And that will provide some context as to why there were so many people asking about Jesus and whether or not he's going to lead them on any military campaigns. Many of the disciples actually also did that. So that's one key. Um, moving on to the next slide, I wanted to go into first uh, the area during the time of Jesus. Now, the area during the time of Jesus was covered, it was broken up into three different areas. After the breakup of the kings of Israel, um, Rome, and actually Greece before it, broke up the area into three main areas. Um, Galilee, which was in the north, um, then it was Samaria in the middle, and then Judea at the very end. Now, those three areas were not unified, primarily because Samaria, which was in the middle, because of Samaria being in the middle, um, there were some serious issues with the Samarian people and the rest of the Israelite community. Particularly, the Jews in Samaria started to intermarry with the other people living in the area. And according to Jewish tradition, it was illegal to do so. They also stopped following a lot of the laws that Jesus had, sorry, that God had brought down upon the people. And the Jews saw that as an affront so severe that the Jews who were traveling from Galilee in the north and who were trying to get to Jerusalem in the south, instead of taking the direct route, as you'd figure, just go straight down to the land, they would actually go and cross the Jordan River, go south, and go back into um, the Judea area just to avoid seeing a Samaritan. So the racism was that deep within the Jewish community. And as you see, you'll see a few of the, the, the main um, cities here. Um, you'll notice that Jerusalem and Bethlehem um, were fairly close to each other, about six miles apart. Uh, Bethlehem was both the home and the birthplace, or it was the birthplace of both Jesus and David. Um, and as many of you know, uh, Jordan, I'm uh, sorry, the Jericho was right next to the actual um, Jordan River. Now, many of you guys know the parable of the Good Samaritan. One of the things that's key for you guys, for us to realize is, you see that dotted line, that little arrow? So that's the route that individuals used to take when they wanted to get to Jerusalem, but did not want to go around Samaria. Now, Jesus' ministry went straight down. Jesus preached to both the Jews and to the Samaritans. He went to everyone and he treated everyone equally, which is what made him so different from everyone else. And one of the big keys of the parable of the Good Samaritan is the road that they were going to, if you can see, it's actually the road between Bethlehem and Jerusalem and Jericho. So that, you see that little left turn? That left turn was the road. And that road, because everyone knew 
that Jews would be going that, down that way, bandits would hide and wait, looking to attack people and rob them. So when Jesus was telling the story about the um, Good Samaritan, he was hitting a nerve because if you knew that road, that means you were one of those people who was trying to avoid Samaritans. So if you're looking at that road, if Jesus is talking to you and talking about that road, right, he picked that road for a reason. It was the road where the people who did not want to see Samaritans would go. And he was convicting them on their prejudice. Right? So when you see the area and how far they were willing to go just to not associate with people who were descendants of the same people as they were, right, it hits home when, you, when we realize how far and how much Jesus really attacked issues head on. Right? So you get the context as to kind of how direct Jesus was with people and how he pinpointed on the sins that he saw. So suffice to say that Jesus didn't really beat around the bush. Now, one other thing I want to really highlight, which actually caught me um, a bit off guard, um, turn with me to uh, Mark chapter 5. And we're going to read verses 1 through 18. The Bible, read, the Bible reads, They went across the lake to the region of the Gerenices. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, amongst the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had, had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened and the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Now, many of us have read this scripture about Legion and the demon uh, possession that he had. 
one thing that I didn't fully comprehend was what happened at the very end. So at the very end, Jesus goes to this man. Sorry, the man runs up to Jesus and asks to follow him. And Jesus says, no, you can't come with me, but just go home. Go to your own town and tell the people that you live with what happened. The man goes around and goes to the Decapolis. Now, the Decapolis, if you can see, oh, if we can get the projector back up, sorry. So that green section on the right of the Jordan in the middle, that entire area is the Decapolis. The Decapolis is an amalgamation of 10 different cities that were kind of held together back when the Greek Empire was there. So it's just 10 different cities that spans about half of Jesus' entire ministry. And that entire area, which was preached to by one man, Legion. So imagine having that guy in your Bible talk. This one man was told to preach to one village. But in reality, instead of just speaking to one village, his hometown, he went to city after city after city after city till he preached to an entire region in the Roman Empire off of one miracle. Right. These are the things that we don't get the context of when we're reading it off a page. And this is why it's important to get the context and the understanding of what actually, what's going on in the region, right? Because just hearing Decapolis, great. That sounded, for, I thought it was a building. No. Uh, but going through this, I'm like, wow, he literally went and preached half as, in, in half as many cities as Jesus went to himself. So imagine the impact that we could make seeing what this guy's gone through and what this guy's done. So, moving forward, we're going to go into um, what happened with the early church. Um, but before we do that, I just wanted to cover uh, a few other places. So, um, most of Jesus' messages um, were done in Capernaum. So, a lot of his sermons where you, you keep hearing that he was in the Sea of Galilee, he takes a boat out, um, meeting a lot of fishermen. There were a lot of uh, fishing areas at the north side of, um, of Galilee. Um, on the other side was Bethsaida, uh, if we can get the slide up. And Bethsaida was where he had fed 4,000 people. So basically he was crossing back and forth in the water, which is why wherever he went, people were following him. So people were following him throughout this entire region. So imagine you hear a guy that's doing one thing great. You're going to follow him. So he had followers from the north all the way down through the south. He was one of the few unifying forces in an area which was severely divided by race, religious theology, and just general opinion of one another, right? Jesus was that one unifying force amongst many different groups. So going into um, the time when Jesus had actually um, moved on, he died, he rose again, and he went up to heaven, um, he had a very clear plan as far as how he wanted his church to run. And we can see that in Acts chapter 1. Just turn over there really quickly. So we're going to start from verses 6 and 7. And the Bible reads, Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, 
It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So a couple of things you're going to notice here. Even after Jesus had resurrected, people were still asking, hey, are we getting our military win now? Is there going to be a war? Are we ready? Is it time to fight now? Right. Even after he was resurrected, there were still a few guys who were like, hey, where's the fight? You know, so there were still a few people who needed to get it, right? And understanding the context, right, they were still a, a people under Roman authority. But they still hadn't fully gotten the fact that it was Satan's authority over their hearts that God was freeing them from. And it took until the day of Pentecost for that to change, for them to realize that, no, God was freeing them from spiritual bondage, not the physical bondage that didn't really matter past this life. So there was a little bit of that. Then the second part you'll highlight, I want to highlight, is Jesus' very clear instructions on what they were supposed to do. In verse 7, he says that you'll be the witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and, and to the ends of the earth. Now, if many of you guys have, well, just about every disciple here has read Acts chapter 2, um, when we go into the disciples meeting together in the day of Pentecost, leading to the great conversion of about 3,000 souls. What happened next was about three years, three or so years, where the individuals were staying in Jerusalem. Now, Jesus' instructions were fairly clear. You start in Jerusalem and you go everywhere. But in the beginning, I mean, they were enjoying the fact that Jesus had raised from the dead. They were meeting each other's needs. They were enjoying each other, right? They were about each other, which was great. And listen, that is in the Bible and that is definitely a responsibility. But Jesus' plan had an additional component there. Oh, if we can slide the... Yeah, perfect. So Jesus' plan was them for them to go everywhere. So they had to have a bit of a, a nudge to get there. And unfortunately, that nudge was persecution. So at that time, they began to get persecuted by the Jews. And then at, later on, the Romans, they essentially became a, a, a criminal faction in the eyes of everyone else in the area. And because of that persecution, they had to disperse. So God took a severe challenge to drive his mission, mission forward, which is a great way, great way to think about our challenges in context. Right? Sometimes God puts us into certain challenges to help move his ministry forward, to help move our lives and make our lives deeper and richer. Right? The people that Peter and, James, and John and James and uh, Philip were able to help spanned all over the area. I don't know if you can see the yellow areas, the yellow arrows, but at the end, they ended up re-preaching every single area where Jesus had preached. So all those places where Jesus got a chance to speak to those people, where he healed those people, they now had people who they knew were with Jesus reminding them and letting them know, by the way, we saw Jesus raised from the dead. Because up until then, all they knew is there was a, Jesus, a guy named Jesus who healed a bunch of people, and he's gone. Now they're seeing those same people proclaiming in the streets that Jesus has risen from the dead. Right? The power of that message reached everywhere. And the most notable person that got that conviction was a man named Saul of Tarsus, which God used to go even further. Those of you who know, uh, that's who we know of as the Apostle Paul. So Paul now 
having met Jesus directly because, you know, certain people, normal people just can't reach out to certain people. This guy needed a special kind of invitation to church. So Paul had to be reached out directly by Jesus to kind of get him to get his head on straight. So God even used persecution and the people committing the persecution to further his gospels. And Paul, out of his conviction and his revelation, decided he wanted to be the person to reach out to the entire Gentile community. So what he did was he went on three separate campaigns, missionary campaigns, to plant churches all throughout the Mediterranean. So his first trip, he started off and went through Galatia, um, Caesarea, and a bunch of these places. We now know that area as Turkey. So that whole area is now known as the, the country of Turkey. So he went through that entire area on his first trip. But that wasn't enough. Realizing that he had more work to do, he then went out and went through Corinth and all the other areas that we now know as Greece. So in two trips, he's just taken over a huge chunk of the entire Mediterranean. Almost half the Mediterranean has been preached to by Paul, and he ended up going there twice. So on his third journey, he went back to both Greece and to Turkey to make sure that he can strengthen the churches. So a lot of times as you're reading all those, those letters to the different churches, that's Paul writing letters as he's hopping between city to city, going through, planting churches, going back, strengthening churches, then going back, sending other people to go strengthen those churches, then going around and around, making sure that the churches are growing, that they're healthy, right? Meeting the needs where they needed to be, right? That was Paul's ministry, and that's how he spread the gospel around the world, you know? And thinking about his focus, right? He took, Paul took focus to another level when I realized what he did at the end of Acts. Um, so, at the very end of Acts, Paul gets arrested and decides, and he gets flogged. And then they bring him back, and he highlights a, a fact that they kind of had missed. Paul's a Roman citizen. Rome was one of the main perfectors of the democratic process. And one of those is due process. You can't be punished unless you're tried. And you can't punish a Roman citizen unless you try them first. So Paul goes, I'm appealing to Rome because you punished me without giving me a fair trial. Paul's intention was fairly brilliant. He, wanted, he purposely wanted to use his trial to evangelize more places because there were more places he didn't get a chance to go. So he used that opportunity and preached to even more people. And now that was not within, without his challenges. If you can see that red line going across, those are all the places Paul had to go a lot of those stops were not intentional. So Paul was shipwrecked, I believe, twice during this travel. Each of those times, he ends up converting people. So every challenge Paul met with along the way, he found people to convert, to preach to, to help, to change throughout the challenges. So if you think you've had a hard commute coming into work, Look at what Paul had to go through just to get to court. So, listen, if, if you ever uh, get stopped with a ticket or have to go fight a ticket, guys, just think about how Paul handled it and evangelize on your way. Good things might happen. But the idea was the disciples didn't let these little challenges get in their way. 
right, they use those challenges, right, they use the persecution to further the gospel, right? Paul used his conviction over what he used to do, right, as his kind of, I don't want to call it a hobby, but his passion of persecuting the church. When he realized the error of his ways, he made a concerted effort to go and reach out to different areas. And in the end, he ended up reaching out to nearly the entire Roman Empire. So by the end of the book of Acts, the entire, nearly the entire Roman Empire had at least heard about Jesus Christ, at least by somebody, either through word of mouth, through a friend of a friend. Somebody knew somebody who knew Jesus by the end of this mission. And all this happened within a span of about 100 years. And think about that. For the Old Testament, we were covering a number of thousand years just to get the Israelites alone to understand Jesus, to understand God and his plan, at least, right? To prepare the way. So we spent thousands of years just getting prepared for what we had. And when you think about all those scriptures about people longing to see what we've seen, right? People are used to changes happening over a millennia. Right. It took generation after generation for changes to happen in Israel. Right. It took huge monumental shifts of people. Seas had to part for any change to happen. Jesus in three years kicked off something that 2,000 years later we're still benefiting from. We're still growing from. That impact gets put into greater context when you look at it from the broader picture. So the one thing I wanted to leave you guys with is don't think that your impact can be limited, right? The big thing that this highlights, when you look at the geographics of what happened, right, it started in that little star on the left. Right? In three years, it expanded to that circle. The next 60-odd years, it spread to an entire empire. Right? Imagine what we could do if we adopted that just in our little speck of Harlem. Right? Imagine how much of an impact we can make if we emulate the people in this book. Right? That's what we get as we look deeper into the context of a lot of these scriptures. Right? It gives us a more broad view and a fuller understanding of what's actually happened. Right? It's one thing to say, hey, someone went to a Decap- an area called the Decapolis. Yes, the guy essentially went to the equivalent of us, me, traveling and trying to convert everyone from New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania by myself. That's the equivalent, just to put it into context. Right? Paul's journey is essentially me trying to cover the entire continental United States. If you look at it just from a, a space perspective, right? think about what the power of one person with deep convictions can be. When you put it in that context, right, it inspires me because it realizes my little problems aren't that big. Right? My work issues aren't that big. Right? we need to get used to, and it, it helps me to get used to, seeing things in a bigger picture. 
right? Because I have a tendency to kind of dwell on the minutia and the little things. Well, this thing's going wrong. I, I get easily distracted, which is why I have so many pictures in the lesson because I can't keep, I can't pay attention, so I put pictures up myself. But because I get easily distracted with things, I know it's helpful to think about things in context, to understand what the landscape was like at the time to dig deeper into the scriptures and not just take things at face value, but really understand what God is really trying to convey. So, guys, um, as we continue, we're about to take a quick fellowship break, but let's uh, say a quick word of prayer, and then we're going to move on with our service. Heavenly Father God, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for just the, the way you change not only hearts, you move governments, Father. You move land masses. Father, you show us that with you behind us, we, there is nothing we cannot do. Father, thank you for just creating the earth the way you have, Father, for lining up everything the way you've done it. Father, for organizing us and determining the times and places where we should live, Father. Thank you for just putting all these people before us, Father, to like pave the way so that we can be inspired to follow you, Father. Thank you for Jesus, Father. Thank you for the inspiration that he's put into us, Father. Thank you for the salvation that we have and the opportunity to share with these disciples have done so many great things, Father. Thank you for us having the opportunity to share in the same gospel as they have, Father, to take on the same uh, mission that they have taken on, Father, the mission that they had died for, Father, the mission that they had sacrificed for. Thank you for just considering us in order to have us do this for you, Father. I pray that we use this as inspiration and use it to motivate us as we go through challenges, Father, as we go through hardships. Help us to keep all of our items, our issues in context and in perspective, Father, so that we understand what you're doing through us, Father, and the work that you're doing to make us stronger. Father, I praise you and I thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, God. Amen.